It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello, friends. I hope you're still on this journey with me of defending and commending the faith. At the end of the last episode, I was discussing the view where atheism affirms evil but denies the existence of God. The atheistic psychiatrist Sigmund Freud, for example, claimed that God is an illusion because belief in God is based on wish fulfillment. He said that while it would be nice if there were such a god, it also would be nice if there were a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Let me analyze Freud's analogy. Since there is no pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, he is implying that such a god does not exist either. He is expecting you to arrive at that conclusion on your own. He didn't explicitly mention that conclusion, for if he did that, then you might see that the burden of proof would be on him. But since he has failed to give any evidence for the truth of that conclusion, we must infer that the burden of proof may have been too heavy a burden for him to bear. Furthermore, Freud has confused a wish and a need. That we wish something to to exist does not mean that it does. But it is reasonable that if we truly need something, then it does exist. The scientist and former head of the Human Genome Project and director of the National Institute of Health Francis Collins, imitating a statement by C.S. Lewis, describes it this way on page 38 of his book, The Language of God. Why would a universal human hunger for God exist if it were not connected to some opportunity for fulfillment? Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exist. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Even atheists have acknowledged a need for God. Jean-Paul Sartre avowed, I needed God. I reached out for religion. I longed for it. It was the remedy. Had it been denied me, I would have invented it myself. That's found in his book, Words, pages 102 and 107. Albert Camus made a similar admission. 
He said, nothing can discourage the appetite for divinity in the heart of man. That's found in his book, The Rebel. The French mathematician, scientist, one of the first two inventors of the mechanical calculator, philosopher, writer, and Catholic theologian, Blaise Pascal observed, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every heart that can only be filled by the creator God who made it. In his book, Ponsais, number 148, Pascal said, what else does this craving proclaim? But that there was once in man a true state of happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object, in other words, by God himself. On the negative side of my response to the atheist view, I've shown several disproofs of God's existence all fail to do what they purport to do. Moreover, I have shown that the logical version of the problem of evil fails as a disproof of God's existence. The typical claim is that the existence of evil, combined with an all-good and all-powerful God, involves a contradiction. At first glance, the claim sounds reasonable, but after deeper analysis, the claim can be shown to be false. I will deal with the probabilistic version of the problem of evil soon. On the positive side of my response to the atheistic view, I have given an argument that extends the Kalam argument and concludes that the first cause of the beginning of the universe is identical to the God of the Bible. I've also given a new design argument for the universe and a moral argument for God's existence. In so doing, I have given strong reasons why the atheistic view fails as a reason against the existence of God because of evil. Soon I will turn to showing the pantheistic view also fails. In the last episode, I stated that the new atheists have branded themselves as the party of reason with the capital R. Their rhetoric seeks to communicate that atheism has cornered the market on reason. Atheists describe themselves as free thinkers, rationalists, brights, implying that anyone who holds to a belief in a personal creator God is an enslaved thinker and is an example of irrationality. Atheists claim that they alone use science and reason instead of faith and dogma. Tom Gilson, one of the editors of the book True Reason, writes that atheists' claim to reason is becoming progressively harder for them to sustain. Gilson writes, their books 
Articles and debates are riddled with fallacies, appeals to emotion, and mishandling of evidence. Their claim to reason is often a matter of a public relations campaign rather than a competence in reasoned discourse. The book True Reason directly challenges the new atheist goal of claiming reason as their own, and I concur. Dawkins, the head honcho of the new atheist, often ridicules questioners at his public debates that the origin of their religious statements arises because the questioner has been born in a Western country, and that explains their belief in God. What Dawkins says may indeed be true. But in making his claim, Dawkins has committed the genetic fallacy, and he makes no attempt to refute the truth of the questioner's statements. Moreover, Dawkins and other atheists betray their own irrationality by having chosen atheism and scrambling everywhere to find something or someone that can offer some justification for their choice. Here is one example of Dawkins' own irrationality. In his book, The Blind Watchmaker, Dawkins makes this sweeping affirmation. Evolution makes God superfluous. Thus, there is no design in the universe. But astonishingly, that is the full extent of his argument. He says, evolution provides a potential way for nature to have come about without design. Therefore, Dawkins jumps to the conclusion that, in fact, nature did come about without design. He makes that purported conclusion despite offering no evidence to support his claim. Any argument must possess three basic elements, premises, a conclusion, and reasons that offer support for the conclusion. So if a person says that he is giving an argument, one expects to encounter those three elements. If any of these three elements are missing, then the argument is not likely to work or be classified as a good argument. The eminent Christian philosopher Alvin Plantinga criticized Dawkins' above argument by basically saying that Dawkins' argument had the form that if a statement P is not astronomically improbable, it therefore follows that P must be true. Dawkins' claim is an exhibition of ludicrous logic elevated to the highest pinnacle. These atheistic failures come in various forms. Sometimes they take the form of fallacious logic, as I have pointed out. Sometimes it is the mangling of historical fact. In his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Spoils Everything, Christopher Hitchens writes, 
The best argument I know for the highly questionable existence of Jesus is this. His illiterate living disciples left us no record and in any event could not have been Christians since they were never to read the later books in which Christians must affirm belief. And in any case, had no idea that anyone would ever found a church on their master's announcements. There is scarcely a word in any of the later assembled Gospels to suggest that Jesus wanted to be the founder of a church either. Hitchens makes at least three mistakes in that quote. First, few, if any, Reputable biblical scholars agree with Hitchens' rejection of the historical record. Not even a skeptic like Bart Ehrman doubts the existence of Jesus. In fact, Ehrman defends Jesus' existence in his book entitled, Did Jesus Exist? Second, Hitchens must not have read Matthew 16, verse 18, or chapter 18, verse 17, where Jesus speaks of his church. Hitchens also overlooked or discounts the 22 references to the church recorded by Luke in the book of Acts. Third, Hitchens affirms that the Gospels were written quite late. Critics of the New Testament usually claim the Gospels were written in the 2nd or 3rd centuries A.D. This is what Bart Ehrman, Geza Vermes, Charles Burlingame Waite assert. <clears throat> but different authors in the New Testament, the writers of the four Gospels and Acts, claim that they were eyewitnesses or they were reporting eyewitness accounts. So both affirmations can't be true. But strong, convincing reasons can be given to show that the Gospels were written within the first century A.D. For one thing, there is absolutely no mention in the New Testament of a very significant event. The destruction of the temple and of the city Jerusalem in 70 A.D. The obvious reason it is not mentioned is because it had not happened yet when the New Testament documents were written. Some New Testament documents were written within 17 years of the crucifixion in 33 AD. See, for example, chapters 11 through 13 of Cold Case Christianity by J. Warner Wallace. These are but a few instances of the wide variety of rational errors in new atheist literature. Each example adds further evidence that the new atheists are not as rational as they would have us believe. One of the great ironies of the new atheism's literature is that they have the unmitigating audacity to claim that they are the ones who are rational while all others are less rational. I will return to this point in the next episode. Let me say that I am praying this for you, that God would make your minds wise 
your heart's true and your motives pure, and that your patience would be steadfast under adversity. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith, with Joe Mott.